Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian. I apologize for if you are looking at me uh, instead of just listening. You are seeing somewhat of a dark shadow. That's called the process of the sun setting and light changing as it relates to my camera and all that. So it'll change. But anyway, I apologize. Rian, what's up? How you doing? We're talking everything Champions League football. We're talking everything Premier League, La Liga. Not... That much, I'll be honest, has changed in the last like week and a half. But we do have Champions League semifinalists. We will soon have Europa League quarterfinalists, I believe. Forgetting which round, because Europa League is always like an extra round of games. But anyway, uh, we will soon have another set of progressive teams uh, move on in Europe. And we have already had them do so in the Champions League. We're going to touch on whatever the hell is happening at Chelsea, both in the league and no longer in the Champions League. We'll talk all about what's going on with the big Spanish teams, relegation battles. But before we get to that point, Rian, I have one very simple question for you. Would you rather spend 30 minutes stuck on a train, like a subway train with no internet, like dark alley, you're in a tunnel, 30 minutes, can't talk to anyone, obviously, or... 30 minutes stuck in an elevator with no service as well. Which one would you rather do? Mm. I'm going to go train for sure because elevator, uh, you guys tell me which floor I'm on (laughs) in the elevator. That's that's really scary. No service in like a skyscraper. um, Yeah. I I would much rather be in the tunnel. (laughs) At least I know yeah, I'm on I the did. ground, <laughs> and you can see that. you can see what's coming at you if there is something like dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that at all. Did you? Yeah. What, what was what was your answer? One, cool. and then and then wh- who has asked you that? Someone asked you this recently? No, I'll be honest. I just thought about it off the top of my head. No one, no one asked <laughs> me it. The more, it was more like I have been stuck in a subway car twice in my life for over 30, 35 minutes with no service in the dark, like in a tunnel, you can't see anything outside. Like, and it's terrifying. Like, really? You, 30 minutes? Yeah. 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 You get wow. to a point where like, I was starting to have like real anxious moments and we started moving and I was like, Oh my God, thank God. And I was like, if I was in an elevator, you at least have like the call button to like call the fire department or something like that. In, in the train, you have nothing. You can't even talk to the conductor and be like, what the hell is going on so <laughs> yeah i don't know i might go elevator but both sound horrendous yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's the only reason because i i partially got stuck today on the way home for like literally 30 seconds and i was like not again please not again um but anyway that's I my see. that's my question of the week how are you how was your weekend tell me tell me how you're doing how is life um rian and i are fun fact we're going to be at a conference together in like two weeks and i'm thrilled i guess we'll walk around Lovely Javits Center with Brian. So the Javits <laughs> you'll, Center. You'll, be, you'll be more busy. Alex will be more busy than I than I will be. I'll definitely be busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my job is to schmooze Rian basically. Um, and tell him where all the fun stuff is. So <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I yeah, I, I might I might need you for directions. Even though I, I did go <laughs> to the same um, conference at this at the Javits Center like last year, end of last December. year or whatever. But now this time I'm going and there's like three or four things max that I want to see because I was <laughs> like I'm not doing that tire that 
like so, jumping session to session and there's also like no food there was like there was so little food yeah. in, in december so may, maybe there'll be way more food this time we'll, we'll see but um they they heard the feedback trust me they heard the okay feedback. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they, they did that's all i'm saying but anyway well i'm excited for that um you told me about your weekend before we even started recording so i won't make you repeat anything um are you how, let me let me ask you this because this would be a good segue into actual footballing things. How is your mental health as it relates to your team? I know you don't actually. Uh, no, I thought we were getting to Chelsea later. Uh, I, no, <laughs> we are. We are. We are. Don't worry. Th- that will come later. I just this is this is a friend checking in on a friend, and then I get the chance to roast you later, knowing that you're mentally okay. That's oh, great, great, yeah, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes me feel better for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like I. I I, I said it a while ago, like when Grandpa was still in charge, that like the season was a wash, even like three months ago. I mean, for me, the season ended when I'll get I'll get to this more when we talk to the Champions League. But, mm, but preview. But um, the season's been done for like two and a half months, two months at least. Um, so and I made my feelings known on whether whether or not I should be sacked before the end of the season, and basically my. My verdict was that it wouldn't it wouldn't matter, and lo and behold, it has not mattered. So you know, I, I, it's, my 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 uh, whole psyche and and feeling towards the team is is the same. Um, and I'll get into a bit more when we when we talk about the the Madrid tie. Um, but yeah, it's it's hasn't changed much. Not much. Got a, got a got a brief jolt of um of dopamine from from. Of, of good vibes just from the Lampard appointment um, and the jokes that, that, that were, that uh, got to fire off. But uh, yeah, not, not much since that. <laughs> That's just rude, but we'll get to that uh, in, in just a little bit. But to Rian's point, we are going to start with the Champions League. Um, we're going to start with City Bayern, which just concluded not that long ago. We're recording on a Wednesday evening. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of the, the tie as a whole, because obviously a majority of this game was sort of played out in that first leg. And I think the only moment where you kind of saw or felt any sort of worry from City or from Pep in this game was, I believe, that shot maybe around the 20th minute. I have to double check the timestamp from Leroy Sané that went yeah. just, just it's wide. 1v1, one, one um, yeah. And, and it's sort of those moments that could have changed the the entire tie, right? At that point, a two-goal deficit for quite literally any team, unless it's maybe Real Madrid, <laughs> like it, it, a two-goal deficit doesn't really matter. Uh, it's sort of an open-ended tie at that point. Of course, Sonny didn't score. Upa Meccano almost gets sent off, albeit just saved by the offside flag, and then decides to, instead of getting sent off, make a fool of himself later. So that was all fun. Uh, Rian, I think, has astutely reminded me of these moments of when I've tried to defend him from Meccano. That hasn't worked out in my favor. But I digress. Rian, let's talk about the, the, the tie as a whole. Where do you think this leaves Bayern? Where do you think this leaves Thomas Tuchel? Because to your point from when like he came in, his next two games were the Classicer against Dortmund and then this Champions League quarterfinal tie against City. That's a pretty tough spot to be in, no? Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> I mean, 
you had it you had um not not a title decider because they still uh have a handful of games left and it's only a two-point lead over Dortmund now even though they very well could have been tied again after um after this past weekend but uh it's really tough to go from that to then playing City um a, a demonstrably different city side or early style of play city side that that Tuchel faced while at Chelsea um yeah obviously the big difference is having an actual striker up front um or a more a more traditional striker up front <laughs> like that's kind of the big difference but um no no I I think it was always a really difficult task for him to come in and I don't think he can shoulder a lot of the blame for for what's happened in these couple of weeks. Um, there, there's so much going on with that. Like, like that. Obviously, there was stuff going on at the board level with Nogglesman, but you know they have Tuchel in now, so they have their guy. So it should that that should be that should be more um, harmonious at least for the first 12 months, maybe. And, and then, uh, and then obviously you have the well, whole Sané. Well, before we get to that, uh, Tupa will, I'm sure, know, unlike, not unlike any other manager, have his uh, monthly performance review uh, <laughs> all next season, which could very well be to him getting sacked for seemingly no reason. But yes, yeah. the Sané thing. Yeah, yeah. So and then you have the whole Sane and Mane incident, which is just hilarious when you think about it all. Um, and on top of all of that, I have a side that obviously is missing a, um, a number nine in their own sense, like a, a replacement for Lewandowski. Uh, I will say, as someone who who holds Lewandowski on that very, very top pedestal pedestal for for forward strikers of his generation uh i i am i am slightly calmed by the fact that chupamoting coming back into the team did really nothing not that much for them <laughs> and because he's been scoring a good amount in the season has been is not is not sat well with with a Lewandowski fan of myself but uh they did not look towards Getting someone in that's like close to that caliber um, over the like last summer, and then you can still see that their midfield is still missing a little something there. Like, they had Goretzka and Kimmich um, start in both of these legs, and that, that that's still not good enough. That when you're coming up against City, and that's the bar, unfortunately, that they had to reach in these two games, yeah. but. Um, You'll see it. You see it even in in the in Bundesliga as well. Like like they even under Nagelsmann have lacked that total control over games, and they've really lacked it as well in the first couple of weeks under Tuchel. Like I mean, this past weekend they they drew against Hoffenheim. Again, could have been really could have been a, a much bigger result if if Dortmund didn't draw, but. They're obviously not a perfect team. I still think this, that talent-wise, they're the second. I think they have the second best squad in terms of talent, overall talent in, in Europe. But um, you, you saw it in the, over these two legs. They're not. They're not quite as balanced as City are, and and <laughs> and that's again just a really high bar because City right now are <laughs> the most balanced team in in the world. So. Yeah, it's not even close too. Like if the bar is City, then. 
there are very few, if any, teams that are meeting it, but of the teams that could do it, of course, it's Bayern has to be in that conversation. And if you mean to tell me that there's a world where Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich are being outclassed, like, fair play. Quite frankly, like, I, I don't have anything else from an analysis standpoint to share with you other than City just being such a masterful team. And I think one of the things that showed out in the second leg, by the way, is the way City pressed. That kind of showed to me, like, the dominance that this team has both tactically and talent-wise. Forget about, like, Jack Grealish creating, gosh, I have to double-check how many chances he created, but, like, he's created, I believe, the most chances in the Champions League this entire season um, by a couple. Like, I don't think it's entirely close. Forget about all that. Forget about Erling Haaland scoring 12 Champions League goals uh, this season as well. Like, City are a well-oiled machine once again. And I think Pep said it so beautifully after in his press conference. He he basically said, like, the goal isn't just to win. Like, it is to win, of course, but, like, the goal is to try. And it's, like, to continually try and push for better. And then winning is a byproduct of that. Um, but I go back to my, I'll just go back to my point on the pressing. City pressed with four players in a completely horizontal line. And I thought they were psychotic. And then I realized that they basically blocked off any central pass that ever existed between some combination of Mikano and Delict getting to Joshua Kimmich uh, or Goretzka. And they had to, and they were forced to go out wide. Um, and the only scenarios, I said this in my head, by the way, I didn't say it to you, I said in my head, the only scenario in which this, I saw City giving up a goal is if someone from their midfielder backline decides to dribble or makes a really bad errant pass for some reason. And that's, for example, where you got the Leroy Sané chance, right? Like, the, that's the only way that City were going to be played through. Other than that, rock solid. I don't have much else. Yeah, and look, the, the pressing was extremely... Uh important in the first leg right that's i, I know that Ubamakano messes up for the second goal in the first leg but that all starts from really really good pressing by Grealish and if anyone gets a chance to, to go back and, and look at that goal like right before like as he's pressing Ubamakano what he did the way he shaped his body as he goes into press Ubamakano is that he blocks off he starts by blocking off Ubamakano's pass out to the wing and that, like, caused Ubamakano to then try to take another dribble to, like, okay, I've got to shift the ball to try to find someone inside. And then that's when he, like, slipped and and and, uh, and, and miscontrolled the ball. And then, obviously, the rest was a uh, Holland goal. But th- that's, yeah, that's kind of, like, the secret sauce of what, of what great, of what makes these Guardiola teams so great is that... <laughs> They are so willing to work on both sides of the ball, and and you see it. I, I feel like Bernardo Silva exemplifies that whole thing. I mean, today he was unbelievable. He was he's his dribbling is is ridiculous. Like to have the option to play Mares if you really need to go and push for the goal, and let's say if you're down a goal, whatever. Like to have that option going Mares, but then also to to have the option of playing Bernardo Silva that right wing position when you want to be more solid defensively and not really lose much, not really lose anything in technical ability. You don't lose a 
a single drop of like technical ability going from Bernardo Silva to, to Riyad Mahrez. But you gain like flexible tactical flexibility. You gain a really, really hard worker um, and someone who's better defensively than Mahrez and someone who's going to just, you're going to be able to trust more. And I think the combination of, of that from the winning position that City were already in going to the second leg, and then now with Holland, as we saw for when, when Makano got really lucky to not get sent off in the first in the first half because, you know, the, Holland's off by, what, like five inches, five, six inches maybe? <laughs> like, um, Basically. And so, so he gets away with that one, right? But then for his act, for his goal, not his missed penalty, not his Sergio Ramos impression, <laughs> <laughs> but for his actual goal, you see the what makes this city team different from in the past years is that on the counter now they have a real threat. They have a legitimate counter threat that when they're when they're protecting a lead, and this is something that we that really was maybe the only thing that was missing from them making it past um, Real next last season. And I know we can talk a little bit about um, that semifinal matchup, but like as I look towards that and think about last season's matchup, the times that City were able to actually counter against uh, Madrid last season when they were trying to just kill the game off. And they couldn't convert. I'm thinking of two. I think it might have been two Jack Grealish moments. Like one of them where he just just misses uh, a one on one with Courtois. Another one where Courtois saves it. But you kind of replace that with Holland, and you feel like one of those two chances would have gone in. And then and then the the I think what was it the Rodrigo goal doesn't yeah doesn't yeah in the extra time. But that's where I feel like is a difference for City this season as a whole in the Champions League. Um, and what would what I think is kind of the difference of how difficult or how much less difficult I think the Madrid tie will be this season compared to last season. Some other factors thrown in there too um, on Madrid's side that we can talk about when we when we get to the uh, City or no, Chelsea Real Madrid recap. But from the City side, I, I think that this is a different team than in the past because they can now protect the lead in a more conservative way than they have in the past and re- and just rely a bit on on they can rely on moments more than they have in the past whereas yeah. like in the past it's had to be okay we have to work this it's felt like we had to work really work these goals whereas now i mean you saw on, on Holland's goal if you get yourself into a position where it's 2v2 and it's Holland and De Bruyne versus the two center backs on the other side that's probably a goal like one out of every three times <laughs> I mean like statistically maybe not but feel it definitely feels like like that's 100% true I, I like what you said about moments right because that's kind of the, the thing that I feel like City had been lacking to your point last season when they made a deep run in the Champions League as well this could be the, the year that Real Madrid break. Um, I know you feel very strongly that it will be, but you also felt very strongly that it would be last year too. I think the biggest thing about having someone like Holland and 
the relentless counter press that City will bring to Real Madrid is Real Madrid's midfield is one year older. Um, they are not really a different team from last season in any way, but that's both a blessing and a curse for City. It's a blessing and a curse in that so have Thibaut Courtois who's going to probably make at least two incredible saves during this tie. You're probably going to have Benzema score. You probably will have Rodrigo score. Beyond that, I, I, I mean, it's probably going to be City's game to lose. It's going to be dominated by City. But for moments, Real Madrid will always look like they have a chance. That's simply the way it goes with this team. There's almost like no tactical prowess or analysis that I can give you that would say, oh, yeah, like Real Madrid, do, well, the one thing they do well is counterattack. But as we've seen, like Bayern in the last two games, they've gotten a lot better at, like I mentioned, counterpressing to stop those moments. So I don't know. I know you don't give Real Madrid a chance, but I've just, <laughs> I'm so over. No, no. I, I look, look, well, we're already here, so we might as well like talk about the, the Madrid Chelsea tie, but. Um, Something that are something... you like ready? Are you mentally okay? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. We'll start, we'll start with the Madrid side because we're already talking about him. But um, <laughs> something, something that finally clicked with me about about this team, uh, Real Madrid, finally clicked with me in this in this during the second leg, um, and even, and it probably and it clicked actually more during the first leg, uh, if I remember. Yeah. The, one of the over one of these over these two legs, it finally clicked with me what I feel like I had been missing about Real Madrid and in the past at least, like in uh let's, let's talk specifically last season, because two seasons ago Chelsea played them off the park. So that's that's not really what I'm talking about. But from last season specifically, their ability in the final third, I'm not just talking about I mean, obviously, finishing is 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 king in these tournaments, but we know that they're great at that. Or a couple guys are very, are great at that. But more on like a, I almost don't even want to call it system because it, I think it's not necessarily like rigid in, in that sense. But their ability to interpret and attack space in the final third or in shooting opportunities because that could also mean like on the counter right their ability to interpret space is what completely baffles like defenses and completely um puts them on like that other level of where we may not be great on the day but when we get to the final third we know what to do and I, and when i say this i specifically mean like when you watch them in the, in these next couple of weeks for for the listeners out there like i would say look very closely at like the movement of benzema vinicius and and, and now obviously this season rodrigo um more than in the in the past seasons it's sometimes it's been valverde out there sometimes asensio but specifically they get to the final third and those guys are looking to combine with each other they're they're not no one's really staying on the wings no one's they're not 
they're not trying to like make the pitch as wide as possible. They're they're not like trying to just stretch teams uh, and, and play into specific zones. Now, now, like when it gets to the final third and and on the counterattacks, when it gets to one of Rodrigo, Vinicius, or Benzema, immediately the other two are looking and and, and at times the, the midfielders too, the center midfielders as well. But they're looking to get close to whoever has the ball and support them, and they don't leave each other. No one's left isolated ever, and they're always looking to combine like right around that penalty area or combine with each other. If it's not even if it's not in the penalty area, when we you know we see Benzema drop a lot and come and support his teammates, and I think that's like what I've probably missed um, over these last. 12 or so months um when i think about this real madrid side i i still think that they're gonna be underdogs going into that semifinal, and i think they should deservedly be underdogs and i think city's a better much better team well much better is relative but like i think city's the best team in the world so so it's hard to bet against that um and and, and i do think that city will will be better equipped than Chelsea to, to stop stopping Real Madrid. I, I, I really don't think Real Madrid, I don't think anyone, and I've been, and I've been saying this quietly to myself for like a month and a half here, but no one should take any sort of real positives out of beating Chelsea. Like, I like, seriously, do not think that you're good because you beat this Chelsea side. That's, that's, that's my end for the for Real Madrid side, but but I I did want you to hear like the kind of epiphany that I had about this Real Madrid side, and and I, I, I'm trying to give them more. I give them a lot of credit for that because that is what shines more in these knockout ties, and is a bit more hit and miss probably over a 38 game league season. But I I just their interpretation of space and and attacking it is what has really like dawned on me. Um, over these two legs against Chelsea. The the one thing I guess I'll say is what I loved about what you talked about was the concept of space and interpretation of space, because one of the things Real Madrid, especially under Ancelotti, but just Real Madrid in general, they do really well is they will absolutely dominate you in three V twos or two V ones. Think about it this way. When Rodrigo is playing on the right-handed side, who's underlapping him? Or mo in most cases, overlapping them? It's Valverde. On the left-hand side, Vinicius has a little bit more flexibility. But think about who's underlapping Vinicius most of the time. It's Benzema if he's not dropping back. Or it's Tony Cruz to support and be an outlet, right? The 2v1s and 3v2s are dominated. And that's like... that. Basically, both goals, honestly, against Chelsea, you kind of saw that in, in different capacities, especially the second one. I mean, God knows what happened in the second one defensively for you guys. But um, I think that that showcases really, really strongly because, for example, Real Madrid starting 11 yesterday against Chelsea, they scored 86 goals in all competitions this season. They have five goal scorers with 10 plus goals this season. Five. Chelsea had Kai Havertz, who, score, who scored the most competitive goals for Chelsea this season with nine, then then that's more than, by the way, the rest of your starting 11 against Real Madrid uh, with eight. So not a great recipe for when you are down 2-0 and have to score two goals. Just if, if you weren't aware, that's all. <laughs>
You're, you're gonna hate me. Yes, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm very well aware of the scoring <laughs> troubles that Chelsea have had this season. I'm, I'm more, more aware than most, unfortunately. Well, well, actually, let's let's talk about them, right? Let's let's talk about it out in the open. Chelsea did have chances in this game, and quite honestly, I can almost kind of understand where Frank Lampard was coming from with this lineup. Just hear me out. I'm not saying it was the right lineup because, in fact, almost any lineup he put out was probably going to be have his significant weaknesses. That's partially, I mean, significantly not on him. The part that I guess he was trying to go for was we cannot allow Madrid to counterattack through the middle because otherwise we are dead. We are dead in the water and the game's beyond over. So from a defensive standpoint, I get it. Now, what I don't agree with was sacrificing all of your creativity for that when you're down two goals. That that is what doesn't make sense to me. So, for me, Rian, I want to understand. Do you, honestly, not do you think this is the right lineup? Because I know your answer. But what did you make of this lineup? And could Chelsea have actually done anything differently? Hint, no. But I'll let you answer. <laughs> I well, I, I think that this out of the four games under Lampard so far, this has probably been the best performance. <laughs> which tells you a lot considering that <laughs> in every other game and the three other games before this like we've gone with the trying to fit in the attackers i mean that's like i mean that's basically been the story of the last two to three seasons really when you look at the attackers um that have been on chelsea but um i, I look i was very i was i was definitely like confused when i when i saw the lineup but as you said what that lineup had was um, guys who are very good at pressing, like Gallagher, um, like Conte, of course, um, and and Kovacic will do his part as well. And 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 look, it just made it more difficult for, as you said, for Madrid to progress the ball through the middle. And I think for that first half, I don't, I, I don't think it would have been crazy for Chelsea to come out of that up one nil potentially. The unfor- unfortunate thing is that the ball drops to. Tingolo Conte in the box as it just always does. It, it's, uh, no one can no no one can set the team up to make sure that someone else is making those runs other than him. But that's a point for another day. Um, and then the other the other good chance falls to to Kukurea and it's a great save from from Courtois, which is just you got to bank on that on one of those a game pretty much. So. Um, so yeah, those are really the two chances, the two best chances, and then, uh, and look, there were other times where where Chelsea were able to get the progressive ball forward, and then you know fizzle out in the final third, as is just kind of the norm, and then <laughs> that one you're not surprised about. But they were moving it at least, uh, and defensively, they they kept things pretty tight. But obviously, we know that Madrid were, well, I mean, up two goals. Madrid were were content with having to play on the counter. Um, and then the second half, really bad mistake from, from Correa, just way over eager, like pressing. And then it's compounded by an even worse mistake by, you actually, you can pick whether, which one's worse. They're both really bad mistakes that that (laughs) compounded on each other with, with Chalaba for whatever reason, deciding to, to, to go to his, to go to ground. Um, it's Rodrigo who was on the sidelines (laughs) So I so really not a clue why he felt like he had to dive in for that. Um, but from from there, it's just like 
a level of composure that Chelsea attackers do not have, um, which is you know what you saw from Rodrigo from that point to to the goal because he does a great job of of putting into a dangerous area, and then Vinicius again. I've talked, I've tweeted about this like just surgical, just surgical in the final third. So so composed, um, and played that ball at the perfect time for Rodrigo. Yeah, got. The first of his two tap-ins, um, and the, the second, the second goal is, the second goal is just yeah. You know, the Chelsea's chasing the game, and there's not, and there's like little care for <laughs> for anyone to be in like a, a decent position defensively, and yeah, at that uh, point it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, and and you know they kind of they kind of get what they deserved. So, um, from 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 just a, that's gonna end on the Chelsea point here. Then then we. Sh- we should talk about the other Champions League games that go on that went on because we, we've got a fun um, dar- derby on the other side of the bracket. But uh, look, I, I think that just that the season's. I'm glad we can say the season's officially over because for me, the season pretty much ended after the second leg of the Dortmund tie. Is any sometime between that and? the draw getting Real Madrid in the, in the neck, in the quarterfinals like, like that. The season ended sometime in that area, in that time, <laughs> in that date range. Right. Um, like uh, the, gosh, I was there. I was actually like really hoping that, that we'd get, <laughs> that Chelsea would get drawn with Napoli. Cause I was like, Oh, perfect. We get, <laughs> we get knocked out and I can move Napoli on into the next round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that would—that was actually my perfect scenario. But I see this uh, as an absolute win. Yeah, that would have—that would have been such a win. Either that or like, or Milan. I would have been like, okay, at least I get to watch Leao for two legs. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, no, the, the the season was it's been done for like t- about two months, in my opinion, or maybe a month and a half or so. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, we saw Tiago Silva came out after this after the second leg yesterday, speaking with Portuguese uh, sports outlets, and and talked about like how you know his opinions on on what's happened this season, and thinking that it was that it was a misstep in in sacking Potter. Uh, it, it, I'm I'm obviously like that's not word for word, not so many words. That's what he said. Um, and and talking about like how it's been difficult with all of the players, like the amount of players, and we know for people who are unaware, like the stories that have been uh, told of like not even enough players in, for the changing room. So some player, a, a, I think a small group of players having to change in the hallways and whatnot, and um, it's just been a mess. It's just been a mess, really. And I I can only hope that things get better. And and look, it's. I guess we can all we can we can stop pretending that the season isn't over. <laughs> like, let's like you know, like I said, it's been, I think it's been done for six weeks. But um, <laughs> we can stop pretending now, and I'm hoping that that means within the next two to three weeks, uh, the next coach is decided is decided on and appointed. I'm hoping that over the next over the rest of the season that you know, uh, like that lineups change dramatic. I don't even know dramatically. The lines have changed every fucking game. So <laughs> like how much more can they change? Um, but, but hoping that, hoping that, you know, some guys who have younger guys, at least get a, get a run over these next weeks. And uh, maybe start figuring out some players that 
<laughs> who's going to be here next season. I don't, I don't know. I, I got, I don't have much, I don't have much for you. This is all, it's all interesting though. The players, the amount of players side of this is interesting because um, I've been doing a little, a little side project that I've been doing is looking at like what, at some things like what factors into like a, a team performing well or not. And, and one of the things that I've, that I've learned in a, in a, uh, just a very apt timing is that you know, the more players that a team uses over I've looked at like over the last five years data like uh, the more players that a team uses throughout a season correlates negatively with like the their performance so that's that's probably just uh something to, to be for us to be on the lookout for in the future probably <laughs> yeah yeah well that's actually something that Luis Enrique talks a little bit about before the World Cup with Spain and his selection in that once you get over about 21, 22 players, like it becomes, it actually, it hurts because you don't have everyone playing. People get pissed. Like it's a, it's kind of a whole thing. So I'm not surprised by that statistic at all. Um, but Rian, it will be okay. One day Chelsea will return back to the champions league. It will not be next year. Um, but Let's just say, I, can you really rule that out? Honestly, I mean, it depends. You, on what you realize this is the same team that finished tenth and then won the league the next season, like five years ago. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just, I, 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 I would, I wouldn't bet on it, but I definitely, can't, I, I don't, I just wouldn't <laughs> bet on that. I'll just say that. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't even want to make any predictions as it relates to Chelsea. But in the interest of talking about the other teams that have regressed in the Champions League, of course, Inter beating Benfica on aggregate, I should mention, they drew today 3-3. And one of the things that we talked about with Inter too was kind of their poor defensive record in both the Champions League and Syria. And Benfica sort of exposed that today. They didn't really expose them in the first leg at all, quite frankly. I thought they were relatively poor. But um, on the flip side as well, I think Milan actually shocking Napoli a little bit, maybe partially aided by Oshman's absence in the first leg. In fact, significantly aided probably. Um, but he did come back in for the second leg. And you could tell in like the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of this game, who really needed a goal more, <laughs> just based on the touches that were actually taken in this game. They were almost all in the final third for Napoli and like all in the defensive third <laughs> for Milan. Um so, Rian, you tell me, where do you want to start? Oh, man. I, I, I am so sad. Saddened by this. Um, <laughs> my wallet's saddened by this. I'm saddened by... I'm saddened for Oshiman uh, as well, who who came into this game having not played for the last couple weeks, two, three weeks, because of a hamstring injury. Um, Napoli was missing their best center back in Kim... Minjay, I, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, but but he got a yellow card in the first leg and, and couldn't play in this one. So two huge misses for for Na- well, huge miss for Napoli in the first leg, obviously, but and then missing Kim in this game. Um, and then and then early on, I think it was Rui that got injured and had to come off as well. And then Politano later on, uh, and or Politano before this game, it, it's uh it all just kind of petered out for them, unfortunately, in the, in these last few weeks. And, and it's not because they necessarily were playing worse, um, but they're, they're lose vital players. And then, and, and the, the team was 
obviously not uh, as equipped like to to deal with those in the Champions League specifically, right? Like in the league, they've been sputtering a little bit, but they they have like a fifty thousand point lead, so it hasn't really mattered. Um, it's it's disappointing that that a side that was playing like the best side in Europe for probably through February. Like it's uh just a very disappointing end to end to their Champions League part of the season. They're gonna win the league for the first time in like almost thirty years, I think, uh, or over thirty years even. So there's still a lot to be happy for for from a Napoli point of view. Um, but just disappointing to go out in this game and look. If you're gonna go out, why not go out to an unbelievable goal? It was Giroud's goal. And, and after he had had his penalty saved, but oh man, the run from Leal was just like I, I I I said on Twitter, but breathtaking. Like that's literally all I can say about it. It was absolutely unbelievable. The way that that guy can just glide, it it really doesn't. It looks like he's never running that quickly, and and especially to do that at such a such a size. Uh, to be at six foot and to be like not skinny either, right? Like he's he's got he's he's not like too large, but he's built. Yeah, he's he's built, and the way that he's able to like like hesitate and then still get the touch and get by like during that run, like obviously he gets through like a couple of players, and that was great in its own. But it's the last defender that he gets by where he like slows down kind of lets the ball run and then as the defenders thinks that he has a chance to go with it well just over like two three yards burst of acceleration to get by him and also shrug the defender off too and then and then he has the presence of mind to to lay it off to to Giroud and 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 basically like <laughs> save Giroud from from the penalty miss uh I I I, whenever I get a chance to watch him, it's like I'm always so impressed by Leao, and and he was great over both legs, and and that is like I I want to see I want to see him in the final. I I I want to see this Milan team make it to the final, um, but it was just really breathtaking and great stuff from from Milan, and then they might have the best keeper. One of the one of the two three best keepers in Europe right now, Manjan, yeah. who who really the one reason why they didn't draw the first leg at least, and then saves, um, I believe it was Kavarskalia's yes, um, penalty. penalty in this one, and made some a couple other really good saves. I, man, if if this is if he's gonna keep this up for the rest of the tournament, yeah, that that's a guy that can win you a final. Like he can win you a final almost on his own. Yeah, and. I guess my follow-up question there too is because we can give Leal all the flowers in the world. And I think we, you and I have definitely seen his interview with the CBS sports that he did after the game, which is hysterical. Um, he just could not understand Jamie Carragher for the life of him. But um, I guess my question is we now have a Milan Derby as a Champions League semifinal. It feels, <sighs> I really hate to, to bring down the significance of, of this for, for both teams. Cause a Champions League semifinal for both of these teams is very significant, especially for Milan's history. But in some ways, there's a little el- there are little elements of luck associated with how they got here, right? In fact, I would argue there's probably a lot of luck 
that their placements in the the bracket you know the fact that inter we talked about i think a couple weeks ago like probably maybe shouldn't have not made it even out of the group stages like like there's always elements of luck and i'm never going to take it away from them but who who do you think actually has a better shot of making the final you would love to, i'm sure you'd love to see leal in the final we all would um i'll just say this now i think any team that comes up against city or real madrid whoever makes it to the final is likely going to lose but i'm very curious to hear who who you think is going to be in the final milan or inter I look into my head right now without without like thinking about it too much. I, I I'm gonna say um, AC Milan, um, mostly because again when we're talking about moments. Moments is what has gotten. You know, we, we talked about Real Madrid earlier. Like, like it it is what carries you more in these game in uh, a knockout format, right? And. I, not to, and I'm not going to take anything away from from Inter's win today too, which was also well. Actually, they end up drawing three three at the end. Yeah. Right. But um, but they got into a very good position to like those two goals came so late on and it didn't really matter anymore. But it was a, it was a great moment from Barella. Like that that Barella's goal today was was a thing of beauty in its in its own and um and we know that guys like that and. Eh, Lartaro, maybe if the sun is shining just perfectly, can <laughs> he'll he'll not mess up his moments. We we know that he can get into good positions, but uh, I just don't think that the quality is there for this inter side. I will say that the way that they play is much more in tune for like a knockout style. They play the counter. They 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 are very compact and they play very well defensively. And they're set up to hit on counter, and and Lautaro Martinez and Lukaku on their day can be very lethal uh, counterattacking threats. So, and, and Barella showed it today as well. Um, same with Denzel Dumfries on on his day. So, I I, I think these two legs are going to be pretty pretty bad. They're, they're going to be, be eyesores, honestly. I, I do think that's how it's going to play out. But um, I think Milan just has more quality. And when I'm thinking about teams that are somewhat evenly matched, even though I think Milan is a bit better, uh, I'm probably leaning more towards the teams that can produce goals out of really difficult situations better than the other side. And I think that Milan, uh, Macy Milan, are more equipped to do that than Inter. What are you thinking, though? Look, I would say 95% of that I agree with. Um, the moments piece, Lautaro and Lukaku, absolutely. I think the interesting part about this battle is going to be who wins in midfield. I think defensively, both of these teams are relatively even. I would give maybe a slight edge to Milan, to be honest. Um, but in midfield, you have more dynamic and explosive midfielders in Inter, in Brella, etc., Whereas on the Milan side, it's less that profile and there's more of an emphasis on ball progression, if you will, and progression to the wingers, right? Or strikers. And it's not so much, you know, 
goal scoring midfielders or anything like that. And the reason why I bring that up is because in a game to a game of two legs, but in a game of moments, I am very curious who spends more time on the ball. Is it Inter's midfield or is it going to be more so favoring Milan's wingers slash attackers? Because I think if Milan can find a way to get through Inter's midfield, I think they're in a really, really good shape. If they don't, then I think that plays into Inter's hand like pretty well. I think it's going to be very much like a game of possession and that will dictate who actually has those moments, which seems obvious. Like you, you, you have more of the ball, you have more moments, but it, it really isn't like, it's almost counterintuitive in, in a lot of these champions league knockout ties. So that's kind of my thoughts on it, but I do, I do talent wise favor Milan to go through over inter. I would still agree with you. Yeah. Hey, look, styles matter so much here, right? And and these are both sides that would rather play on transitions. <laughs> so it'll be yeah. really interesting to see who's who's gonna be like, no, you have the ball. You, you, <laughs> give it like just just constantly trying to create moments that they can counterattack on each other. Every, everyone's gonna um, finish with like half marathon esque stats by the end of this game. <laughs> yeah, so that, that part will be interesting. And and I think either of these sides will probably feel and it, it feels weird to say this, but I think both these sides would have felt more comfortable playing against either City or Real Madrid. But um, obviously those would have been more difficult games to win, but I think like like playing Sawaz, it would have felt more comfortable playing against those sides. So it'll be a good one. It'll be a, a good one for like the for the tactical side of it. I don't think it'll be a fun one for the neutrals, honestly. But <laughs> I hope I'm proved wrong. Hope I'm proved wrong. That makes two of us. Um, we talked a little bit about City Real Madrid. Do we even want to touch on it? I feel like it's pretty cookie cutter. Uh, City will dominate, and I think yeah. I, I, I sent this. I believe you, I sent this. Well, tweet. who do you who do you think will actually get through? I, I I know that you can you cannot ever like kind of downplay the Real Madrid in Europe side of this. You already know who like my feelings of who who I think will get through <laughs> based on our discussions already, but. Um, who are you thinking that will get through? And I guess you're, you're just your one reason why. I, from like the bottom of my heart, I genuinely believe Real Madrid will get through. And and I will, you, you asked me to give you one reason. You just can't I'm, fucking <laughs> help yourself. <laughs> Let me... Let me at least provide you with my reason, and then you can judge it. My one reason is I think this is going to be the team that figures out how to pocket Erling Holland. The the reason why I say that is because Real Madrid center backs are they're they're, they're not incredible ball progressors. They are not like the delicts of the world, but they are relatively strong defenders 1v1. I would I would say almost everyone across that back line bar Carvajal. And Erling Holland is not going to be attacking the left-hand channel. I'm not saying Militao has what it fully takes to stop Erling Holland. In fact, I don't think any player in the world <laughs> quite frankly has that capability. But I I have more faith in Real Madrid figuring out a solution to that problem than I do almost any other team because quite frankly Real Madrid generally defend 
strongly and allow the counterattack to take place. And the second that you allow them to to find a way through after committing bodies forward, even if you're Manchester City, that's a problem. So that's my one reason. By the way, it's going to end like 3-1 after the first leg in favor of City, and Real Madrid will score two goals in the last uh, 13 minutes of this game uh, in the second leg. That's my that's my fallout prediction. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know who's going to be um... – who starts who uh starts at home in the in the tie so that'll be really the most important thing and it, uh actually i'm trying to check right now i think the schedules are second out. leg will be in, in manchester so mm. we'll, you know that's I, I think i think that that should be a pretty big <laughs> that should move the betting like if, if you're gonna bet on them, that should <laughs> back me a pretty heavy consideration the second leg is not going to be at the burnabout yeah that's that's actually pretty tough to get around I'm not gonna lie i'm so, i'm still i'm sticking with my choice I, you can't you can't dissuade me right now there's, there's <laughs> that's not gonna happen um rian before we we wrap up should we briefly touch on i don't even want to talk about chelsea and brighton and uh, that team anymore i'm sick of that team quite frankly uh, for your own uh, i would give i'll give let me give the flowers to brighton because I'll, I'll put it this way okay at the like, I was watching that game. Yeah, you know, just I was, that you know, I was us, watching that. What was that? That makes two of us. I was, I was watching it as well. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was almost watching it from like a masochistic point of view. <laughs> like after first fifteen twenty minutes, I'm just like sitting there, like, oh, like just do it, just do it already, just, just end us, please. And and we had this stupid ass deflected goal, and. um <laughs> And, and Brighton were just still easily progressing the ball for like in a great like great way. Like they had an injury, and then they brought on in CISO, and they were just still finding their ways, progressing the ball forward. They're amazing at it, um, and like honestly, to the point where like they get that get that one one, and the second goal is a, obviously a banger from in CISO, his first Premier League goal, his first Brighton goal, potentially even. But I, I was, I was honestly like relieved. <laughs> like I was like, part of me was relieved. I, I would have felt so nasty coming out of that game if Chelsea were able to get a point because they were just thoroughly dominated, and it was, um, <laughs> it was fantastic. It was really fantastic from Brighton. So that's all I have to say on that on that game. That's super um, fair. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised. Can we talk about our? Uh, oh, sorry, you go. You go. I, I, I was just gonna say I'm surprised you didn't mention Ciso's goal. Um, and how absurd it was, but I'll just say it was absurd and uh, give him the Puskas or goal of the <laughs> season, whatever they do in the Premier League. I'm more of a La Liga person, as you know. Um, but yes, let's let's talk, move on and talk about Arsenal and how they capitulated in what can only be described as the day that they may have lost the title. Truly. You, I think we could look back on this game well, and think... Yeah, this okay. is no, honestly. not and not just because of this game, by the way, they had what, like 70 plus percent possession, uh, like five shots on target, something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the fact that this was the second game in the row in which they've drawn and given up a two goal lead is very concerning. Not very concerning if you want to make top four or if you want to, you know, play European football in general. It's concerning if you want to win a title because City now have a game in hand. I don't know who that game in hand is to, to be honest, but they do have a game in hand. They're on 70 points, assuming they win that game. 
73, and they very well could be Ar- beat Arsenal next week. That They, as an Arsenal, put themselves in this position, to be honest. So, look, I told you and, and went through kind of Arsenal versus City schedule for the rest of the season, and I've told you how I think Arsenal's, like, objectively is the more difficult schedule for, for the rest of the season. I think I was... I feel like I was proven right by by Opta's power rankings recently, which came out with basically a ranking of what is the difficulty level of each team's remaining fixtures. While Arsenal and City, I don't believe, are at the top of that list, Arsenal is certainly higher on the list in terms of difficulty. So that's not really close, to be honest. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, look, they still got Brighton, Newcastle, City, obviously. Um I would love to know how much the Chelsea game is awaiting that because again, <laughs> that uh, it's actually waiting it towards whatever. easier. Like it should be, it really should be. <laughs> like, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's it's it was a really disappointing one for them, right? Another, I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes they were fantastic. Two great goals. First thirty minutes it was pretty. It was it was more dominant than the first thirty minutes against Liverpool that we talked about it last week. The, how that the scoreline was maybe like a flattering Arsenal a bit in those first thirty odd minutes against Liverpool, but West Ham complete, mostly complete control, and then again they they lost control. That is the theme that is concerning for me. Um, they lost control of the game, or the same way they lost completely control against Liverpool. Uh, they, I believe that the Spanish phrase for it is, is uh, pausa, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the ability to just to slow the game down um, and, and not necessarily attack, but like slow the game down to either set yourself up for an attack or set yourself up defensively to, to guard against attacks, right? And that's something that I think most of the season Arsenal have been good at, but post the World Cup, and this is something that I, I brought up over the weekend, is that against these sides that try to make the game more chaotic, um, that try to stretch it a bit more and, and make it more of a, a transitional game, specifically like sides that are more direct, right? Arsenal have struggled more defensively. And I dug into this a little bit, um, and I just pulled some data from from FBRAF, which is all uh, Opta data. And I looked at like after the World Cup, and I looked at Arsenal's opponents in the in the Premier League, and the ratio of long pass attempts to all pass attempts, like in the in the game, and tried to see if there's anything I could I could pull from that, and you look at like the sides that they've come up against who during the game attempted at least 20% of their passes or long passes, which are, which are passes that are at least 30 yards. Arsenal's record in those games are three wins, three draws, two losses. That's all post world cup for in games where the opposition attempted less than 20, where less than 20% of the opposition's attempted passes were long passes. Arsenal only dropped points once 
They have one draw in those games. <laughs> and and the sample size is about 17 games. So that's that's pretty good sample size. Uh, and, and, it, and it backs up what I've felt or what I've felt from watching Arsenal over these last couple of months, um, you know, specifically since the World Cup, is that they seem to struggle more now with with uh, teams that are playing more direct against them. And, and I'm not sure if, if teams played quite as as direct as often um, before the World Cup, but you could probably guess that this is an adjustment that opposition, like the opponents have. Like it, you play a team once, the next time you play them, you have the tape and you have the tape from the mm-hmm. entire season. So, so it's adjustments that are being made. And that coupled with the fact that Arsenal's center backs – specifically are not great in the air. Um Saliba's very good one-on-one. I think Gabrielle is a fairly good one-on-one defender. Rob Holding is unfortunately not as good as either Gabrielle or or Will and Saliba and he's kind of filling in right now with Saliba's injury, but uh also struggles on those has struggled um in the air. And I think that teams are real have keyed in on that and that's where you're seeing Arsenal have a lot more difficulties defensively. I guess the the one thing that I'll add is like Saliba is now back from injury. Like I believe he like re-injured himself in in that process during the game against West Ham. But they while they are susceptible to exactly what you were referring to, I think Saliba's presence adds a lot of control and stability on the right-hand side of, of their defensive line because his ability to accelerate, I think, is better than anything else that they have on the right-hand side. Like, Ben Wade is very good at accelerating forward, I think, but tracking backwards against someone like Mikel Antonio, for example, like, that's that's Saliba's bread and butter. And I think there were a couple times where he made fantastic tackles on, like, the outside of the 18 or, um, like, sprinting down towards the byline. But I, I wonder how sustainable that is, especially if he's carrying a relatively not significant, but like it could be a moderate injury. Um, so that's yeah. Just I mean, it, mind. yeah, it's it's caused him to miss most of their. I mean, all of the last couple of weeks, um, and so I think they'll be trying to get him back for for the for the Man City game. Uh, I don't know if they're gonna get him. I don't know if he'll if he'll be able to. I doubt that he'll be able to start honestly yeah so um yeah so it's 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 interesting it's just that's concerning over the rest of the season um i haven't if i'm just peeking at their fixture list and trying to think about who they will play that that will that could cause them those same issues uh they do have to play newcastle again Mm -hmm. and that one will be away at newcastle newcastle is one of those sides who attempt who 20 attempted 20 percent um 20% of their passes were long passes when they when they got a draw against Arsenal uh I think it was back in January um so it'll be difficult it'll be difficult and that that is what they need to figure out how to how to defend better against those um more direct playing styles and they need to figure out how to regain control in the midfield and I mean I have my opinions on who I think should be playing a bit more to help uh, to help with that control in the midfield. Talking about a, a, a Ballon d'Or third place. Words <laughs> right out of my mouth. Stupid third place. Third place finisher. Um, 
yeah, so I think it is concerning from Arsenal's from Arsenal point of view, like defensively, because this is now seeming like it's less of a fluke. It's feeling like it's more something to do with either the, the player specifically or the system, one of the two, or Agreed. both. Could be both. Agreed. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, beyond that, Rian, the only other thing in England I wanted to touch on was the uh, the relegation race. So if we could just fully agree that Everton are getting relegated, that would really just help. I mean, like, can we agree? Like, <laughs> well, I, I, can you? You can. I can't fully agree on anyone getting relegated. Just like it's hilarious. To. Whatever I see, whatever, whatever, like hearing and listening to podcasts and, and you know, whatever, seeing people talk about stuff on Twitter or whatever. Um, it, it's hard for me to get any more than like, a, oh, I think someone's most more likely to go down <laughs> than another. But considering that, yes, we have the elimination chambers is a little smaller now. I, I think that Crystal Palace have saved themselves, and I think that Wolves will be safe. Um, I, I think they've picked up enough points in the last few weeks to be safe. Um, uh, they had two, like, Palace, three straight wins now under Roy Hodgson, and and then Wolves with a, uh, two straight wins, and, and Bournemouth th- with three wins out of the last four. Like, they, they are really looking like they they could get away from this all. Um, they're six points up uh, on 18th. <clears throat> but you look down and it's like, I, I think West Ham will be okay. Mostly because I think that Leeds are much worse. <laughs> Leeds got pumped again. 11 goals in two straight home matches. These are not away games that they conceded these goals in. Um, and then, yes, Everton... Had, like they did lose the full over, like they had two straight losses on their heads, and uh, I, I still just don't think that they're worse than Leeds or <laughs> or the teams that are already in the bottom three spots right now. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it, it's it's just it's it's very difficult. It's still very difficult to call down at the yeah. bottom there. But but uh, Leeds with no Tyler Adams for the rest of the season is just it's it's really poor. It's really it goes poor. That's the worse. Yeah, and and just confirms all of my all of my uh, fears on the national team side of having to put Weston McKinney in a double pivot <laughs> without Tyler Adams is just is quite scary. Uh, even though I do th- I do think that he actually played well in, in this particular game, uh, at least until it got to like three <laughs> one. Like I mean, after that, everyone was terrible. But yeah. <laughs> Gosh, it's kind of a mess and a cesspool at the bottom of the the table, and it's, it's like the same same thing in Spain. I, we were talking about like Valencia Sevilla being a relegation battle at this point, which it never should be, but it very much is this season. Um, I, I I I feel like I'm repeating um I don't know a million things, um, but this is gonna get decided on the last day. So yeah. And one one last thing, as we're kind of in this Spanish connection, Spanish English connection, want to give some love to uh, Unai Emery and Aston Villa yes, specifically. Please. Been fantastic. Uh, I mean, their their run recently has been really, really, really good. <laughs> they they have uh, five wins in a row in the league. Uh, Ollie Watkins has been great. Emmy Buendia is playing better than he did at any point under Steven Gerrard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really good. It's been it's been really really good um, since Emery came in. They have the third most points in the league. 
there's been some debate on, on how sustainable any of this is. You look at their expected points, they're overperforming. During that time span, they're overperforming more than anyone else by a lot. Um, but I, I do think that kind of question of sustainability is kind of twofold. Like, look, if the team stays the same and they play the same way next season, and specifically if they don't add in any players or whatnot, then yes, this, this, uh, this team is probably still just mid-table, just about. Um, but they have a much better, like, the, the, it's just the quality of coaching in the Premier League now is just ridiculous. It's you know, Unai Emery <laughs> at Villa, mm-hmm. and, and they're pushing for, for Europe now. So, <laughs> oh, man, it's just, it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, for, even thinking about Chelsea on this side of it. It's going to be hard for teams to have one bad season and think that it's, and think that they can just bounce back very easily the next year because the coaching the the player quality and the money <laughs> it's it's very it's 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 very very difficult to find like some easy games in, in the league <laughs> like you like I, you would even look at this time to be like okay well who's playing for nothing now and it's really like Chelsea that's pretty much it yeah. <laughs> like, like that's pretty much it everyone else is like, has a chance some outside chance at a European spot you're not so, wrong yeah or is, or is trying not to get relegated <laughs> like, like, like that's 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 it I'm dead all right well we'll find all this out at the end of May basically that's what I've kind of resided to believing mm-hmm. um so Rian- Chelsea, one of those sides who also try not to get relegated, potentially Stop. now. Stop. <laughs> I, I, I somewhat <laughs> joke, but they are only three points ahead of Crystal Palace, who two <laughs> weeks ago were fully in the relegation battle. But I, I, I do, I do somewhat kid. Uh, uh, nerv- it's like that Simpsons meme, like nervous laugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you're fine. But anyway, Rian, with that, let's wrap up. We'll give the people what they want. We'll give them all the love and blessings in the world, I guess. I don't know. I'm just trying to find a good, give, you, give it to you their back. time. Give them their give, time. Give back. me your time. More back. Than anything else. Yeah, exactly. So we'll wrap up. We'll be back next week. We're talking a little bit more about La Liga. Cause there's some interesting stuff going on there with, we didn't even ever really touch on the Negrera case. Uh, we didn't really touch on, uh, well, Barca Atletico is this weekend. Uh, and of course we've whatever Real Madrid do in the league at this point, if they even think it's a title race, but anyway, with that being said, Rian, Thank you, as always, for everyone. (laughs) Thank you, as always, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys.